This morning I'm going to preach on the story of Abraham, Sarah and Abimelech. It's not a very well-known story, but I think it has a powerful message for us. And this is the message that the story of Abraham, a man who is so flawed, but still used by God, would encourage us. A man who was so flawed, but he was still used by God, and that would encourage us. So, four parts. I want, first of all, I want to talk about the actual story in Genesis 20. And then I want to fit that into the big story of the Bible. Then I want to see how that story has been repeated. Um, and then I want to talk about this story, how it relates to you and me. So those are the four parts. First of all, I want to, to look at this story. And it's a, it's a, a rather strange story about Abraham. Bear in mind, uh, as we read it, that this Abraham is supposed to be the great man of faith, the father of those who believe. And we're going to read the, the chapter, Genesis 20, together, and uh, I will, I will uh, go through it now for us. And I've highlighted some things in different colors. So what Abraham is saying is they're in red, and then I've got uh, in green what Abimelech, this is Abimelech, this other king says, and then God speaking is in blue there. So uh, let's start then. Abraham journeyed from there to the Negev region and settled between Kadesh and Shur. While he lived as a temporary resident in Gerar, Abraham said about his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Apparently Sarah was very beautiful and he's looking for another wife. And so he decides he's going to take her as a wife. But God appeared to Abimelech in a dream at night and said to him, you are as good as dead because the woman of the woman you've taken, for she is someone else's wife. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her. He said, Lord, would you really slaughter an innocent nation? So Abimelech is is the king. By the way, Abimelech, um, it actually means son of the king. Abi is the word for my father, and Melech is the word for king. So it's um, the the, the, uh, name is my dad's the king. So you can imagine that the father names his son, and he says, I'm going to call this son, my dad's the king. He says, you know, that's what he says. What's your name? Oh, my dad's the king. So maybe a little bit of narcissism there in his father. But anyway, so anyway, when he gets to be king, his name is Abimelech. Um, now he's the king. So this Abimelech, um, it says, uh, he had this dream from God and God says to him, look, don't touch this woman. She's married to another man. Uh, and he says, uh, Verse 5, did Abraham not say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. I've done this with a clear conscience, with innocent hands. Then in the dream, God replied to him, yes, I know that you've done this with a clear conscience. That's why I have kept you from sinning against me and why I did not allow you to touch her. But now give back the man's wife. Indeed, he's a prophet, and he will pray for you, thus you will live. By the way, when he says, it turns out that when he says you'll die, what he's actually talking about is his lineage will die, because God has made, stopped all of his family having children, as as like a a warning. 
So, uh, n- and apparently he's animals as well. None of them are, uh, they're all, all of them barren. So he says, do this and you'll, you'll live. Uh, but if you don't give her back, know that you will surely die along with all those who belong to you. Early in the morning, Abimelech summoned all his servants. When he told them about these things, they were terrified. Abimelech summoned Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? What sin did I commit against you that that would cause you to bring such guilt on me and my kingdom? You've done things to me that should not be done. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What prompted you to do this thing? And Abraham replied, Because I thought, surely no one fears God in this place. They'll kill me because of my wife. What's more, she is indeed my sister, my father's daughter. So she's a half-sister to him. And not my mother's daughter, she became my wife. When God made me wander from my father's house, I told her, this is what you can do to show your loyalty to me. Every place we go, say about me, he's my brother. I don't see how that was that was any good in the long run. But anyway, this is what he decided to do. Um, so Abimelech gave sheep, cattle, and male and female servants to Abraham. He also gave his wife Sarah back to him. And Abimelech said, look, my, ha- my land is before you. Live wherever you please. To Sarah, he said, look, I've given a thousand pieces of silver to your brother. This is compensation for you so that you will stand vindicated before all who are with you. Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech as well as his wife and female servants so they were all able to have children. For the Lord had caused infertility to strike every woman in the household of Abimelech because he took Sarah, Abraham's wife. So here's the story. What on earth are we supposed to learn from it? Well, what I'd like to do is the next step. I'd like to fit this story into the big story, the big story of the Bible. And we begin the story of the Bible with the first humans, Adam and Eve. And we know that Satan persuaded them that they could not fully trust God. They, that God was trying to deceive them. They couldn't trust him. And so they disobeyed him and there was a break in the relationship between hum, uh, humanity and God. There was a horrible break in this relationship. And um, this... Um, this this break in this relationship led to this this enmity this sin, this this um, sin coming into humanity which led to everything going wrong but uh, when as soon as this had happened god came to eve and he made a promise and he said i'm going to put this right in the end eventually one of your descendants is actually going to break the power of the one who deceived you satan who deceived you he's going to attack you but we're going to break his power through one of your descendants. And so uh, this promise then is began to be worked out through history. Well, what happened then in the big story is um, there's this promise to Eve, but then the world became increasingly violent. It became more and more violent, and there, there was the flood and there was Noah, but there was more and more problems. And God said he would choose one man, one person, and do a new start. And that was Abraham. And he said to Abraham, through one of your descendants, 
This person who's going to put everything right is going to come. So we have it narrowed down now. It's not just one of Eve's descendants, which was, of course, the whole human race, but one of Abraham's descendants is now going to be the one who's going to make everything right. And what we see now, we see this line of descendants going down and Satan is going to try and attack this to make sure that God's plans never come to pass. That never he's able to, 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 to put things right again. So, um, so now Satan knew he, who he was going to attack. It wasn't the whole human race. He could focus on Abraham. And so Abraham's children, you may remember the 12 tribes, they went down to Egypt. They became slaves in Egypt. And we saw then an attack to try and wipe them all out in Egypt. But they, but God saves them, brings them out into the wilderness, brings them into, through the wilderness into the promised land. They become a nation, but there's all these attacks against them. And then they become more corrupt and they're becoming just like the nations around them. And so so God makes another step. He says, I'm going to choose one of you, which is David. And through David, through your family, I'm going to bring the one who's going to put everything right again. And so David's family, David's line become the new promise. And then, of course, Satan knows exactly who has to atta- he has to attack. And we see attacks on David and his family coming through. And eventually, um, the, the whole, even David's family become corrupt and the, the, the line of kings is bad and the nation becomes again as wicked as the nations around and just the oppression and, and, uh, corruption amongst them, the injustice. And so God decides to take them all away into captivity. And so in the big story, they're all in captivity and God takes back from captivity some faithful ones. Just 42,000 faithful ones come back to the land and makes another new start. And so these ones in the land here, it's, it's drawing near the time of Jesus now, but again, they become, begin to become corrupt. We have... Um, and we have uh, decline into our harsh legalism with the scribes and Pharisees. And then finally, Jesus comes. So this is the big story. And so Abraham is one of these steps of God planning to bring, to put right what went wrong right at the beginning. And so the history of the world is a history of this battle between Satan and the line, the, the promised one who's coming. At the end of the Bible, we have the book of Revelation. And in Revelation, just as Satan was pictured as a snake in, in Garden of Eden, he's pictured as a dragon in the book of Revelation, just symbolically. And uh, this huge red dragon is trying to destroy the line of descendants who would eventually come to be, to be Jesus. And to stop this promised savior being born. So we have this dragon and in Revelation uh, 12 verses 4 and 5 we read, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And this woman is symbolically Eve and all the women who after her who are going to give birth eventually to Jesus. So she gave birth to a male child, the one who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And of course, this is Jesus. And so Satan wasn't eventually able to stop this happening. But I'm telling you all of this story because you can't grasp this story with Abraham until you know the backdrop. This is part of a bigger battle, part of a bigger set of things going on. So um, many times then in the Bible, there's been attack on the the line of people, the descendants who eventually were going to come 
to be Jesus Christ. Can anybody give me any examples of these attacks that happened through the Bible? Herod, exactly. Herod tried to kill all of the children in Bethlehem uh, in order to get Jesus, because Jesus was the one who was going to be born to be the savior. Um, Anything similar to what Herod did? Yeah? Pharaoh killing off all the males in in Israel. Exactly, all the male children. That's exactly right. Or at least trying to. And of course, Moses escaped from that and many others did. That's a great example. Any other ones? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So what happened was, um, we, once David came, God promised David that one of his household would be the one that Jesus would come from in his line, and there were these incredible ta- attacks against his line. So one of the one of the, the times, the um, the king died, and his wife Ataliah. Uh, wanted to to take the throne, but she had a problem, which was that all of his sons, he had a lot of sons, they wouldn't, one of them would naturally have the line. So, so she decided she would kill all of her sons in order to get the throne, and so which she did. But she failed with one of them, uh, who escaped, was carried away with his, by his nurse, and he escaped, and he was hidden in the temple, and eventually he was brought up, and he was able to be the king, and so we get these these vicious attacks on the line of uh, the line of, of Jesus. Um, there was a David himself. David himself, uh, of course, was was in this line. He had a very a number of very very personal attacks on him. People trying to kill him. What was the most dramatic point when David was attacked by somebody? Was fighting somebody who was like a personification of the evil one. Goliath, that's right. So Goliath was like symbolically, he was, he was the enemy of God's people and he was going to destroy David. And of course, God kept David through that. So what you see in this line then is, uh, is uh, this attack systematically through. Sometimes trying to kill them, sometimes just trying to corrupt them and make them, um, turn against God. So here we have Abraham and we're going to talk about how Abraham fits in. Abraham had just had a visit. He just had a visit uh, in two chapters earlier from two angels. Those angels said that within a year, your promised son will be born to Sarah. Like Isaac is about to be born. It's about to be the next step of the promises that will bring about Jesus. And what does he do? Uh, if Sarah had got pregnant from Abimelech, it would have broken God's promise. It would have ruined this plan. This is an attack of Satan. He puts so much fear into Abraham that he discounts this promise and is afraid that he's going to be killed. Um, so, uh, um, you know what happens in the next chapter? In the next, in the very next chapter, uh, we have the, the next few verses. We have uh, this this. This promise uh, reiterated. The Lord visited Sarah just as he said he would and did for Sarah what he promised. So Sarah became pregnant and brought Abraham a son in his old age and the appointed time that God had told him. Abraham named his son whom Sarah bore him Isaac. 
So God did what he said he would and kept his promise. So right on the very brink of the promise that Abraham had been waiting his whole life for, right on the very brink, he capitulated, did something so stupid. But nevertheless, God saved him and it worked out. So this brings us, what's, how does this relate to us? That's the moral of this story. Why is it there? What purpose does this story have for us? Um, and uh, so this brings us to our outline. We've looked at the story. We've looked at the big story and how it fits in. And I want to talk now about how this story has been repeated. And then we're going to talk about how this story relates to you and me. Actually, this was the second time Abraham had done something like this. If you read Genesis, a little earlier, he went to Egypt and the same kind of thing happened with Pharaoh. Pharaoh one looked at Sarah, said she's very beautiful. She's nearly a hundred years old at this point. She must have been quite incredible for a woman who's nearly a hundred years old for these these men to want to take them to take her as a wife. But this is what happened, and the same thing was repeated in Egypt. And you're thinking, this is a man of faith that's supposed to be the person who we look for as a as the father of all who believe. What's going on here? So what I want to say then is uh, uh, how this story has been repeated. This is how it's been repeated. I want to say that God still uses really messed up people. And although we may relapse and fail, God is faithful. Uh, and the pattern that we see is that God uh, using people in spite of them being uh um, mess, messing up and being fearful and just doing the wrong thing. God still uses it in spite of who they are. And this is a story that comes right the way through the Bible. And I find it so reassuring because if I have a God who's only going to use me, if I don't mess up, then, you know, I'm, I inevitably, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to do lots of things wrong. But if I see a God who lets, who, who rescues people from the stupidest things and still turns them into people who do incredible things, then that really gives me confidence. And I was, so this is the main message that I want to give you today, that although we may relapse and fail, God is faithful. And um, so this is a story we see many times. God likes to use broken people. King David, you may remember um, the story of David and how he got to be king. He wrote lots of psalms. He did wonderful things for God, but he had some major problems. And then he committed adultery with a woman, afraid her husband was going to find out about him. So he had her husband killed. Murder and adultery. What a, what a man. But God forgave him. And then later on, he said to God, uh, I'd like to build you a temple. You know, you were still worshipping in a tent. I'd like to build a temple. And God said to him, actually, your son's going to build the temple, but I'm going to do something for you. You want to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house in terms of not a literal house, but I'm going to make your house, your dynasty last forever because you are going to bring, your line is going to give birth to Jesus in the end. And so your line is going to last forever. And so here's this messed up man who, so broken, um, but God says to him, I'm actually going to do these things through you, which will last forever. Um, other stories that you probably can think of when you think of broken people in the Bible. Peter, what about Peter? 
One who shoots his mouth off on any occasion, brags that he's not going to deny Jesus, even though the other disciples might all deny Jesus. He won't. And Jesus says, before the cock crows three times, which is like the alarm bell going off in the morning, you'll have denied me uh, three times. Um, if I got that right, before the cock crows, you'll have denied me three times. Um, and, and Peter did. And Peter was so broken by that. But what did Jesus do? Jesus restored him and said, actually, Peter, I'm going to make you a leader. I'm going to make you a leader. I'm going to make you somebody who shepherds other people. And he did. And so Peter, this broken man, this very, very flawed man, becomes a leader because God delights in doing that. Another story would be Samson. Actually, I should, um, there we go. Samson. Um, He's a, 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 one of the prophets, sorry, one of the judges back before the time of David, before the kings, when the Israelites had reached the promised land, this period where they had judges ruling over them. And uh, Samson had, uh, God gave him supernatural strength, but he had a weakness, lots of weaknesses, but one of them particularly a weakness for women, a particularly a weakness for non-Israelite women. And this got him into a lot of trouble, um, particularly with a woman called Delilah. And uh, eventually um, he got himself caught by the enemy. They put his eyes out. They made him a slave. And then at the end of his life, he prayed to God and God enabled him. God heard his prayer. And in his death, he accomplished more than in his entire life. And so he will have a very, very flawed man who God still hears and uses. God's still doing this today, and God uh, is an example of somebody who, a very flawed person that God loves to use. Here's a guy I met in the UK. We'll, go, we'll call him Sean. It's not his real name. So um, Sean had a, a, not the best upbringing. Um, he and his father, his father taught him how to do drugs, and uh, and Sean would bring would find new drugs and bring them home. And his dad's main interest was, can I get a cut of it if you're going to start dealing in that? That was what his dad was interested in. And his dad would bring home um, um, locks for them to try learning how to burgle and like bring home a new type of safe so they could figure out how to break into it. That's the kind of training he got from his dad. And um, he became quite violent uh, at, at uh, school. And by the age of 17, he did his first time in prison. Uh, he discovered as he was doing drugs... Um, he had trouble kind of coming down from the drugs and he was looking for something to help him come down. He discovered this white powder and this white powder was just so wonderful. And uh, he took it home and showed his dad and his dad said, this is going to be amazing. Um, I'm going to want a cut of this, this stuff called heroin. And so they started doing heroin and uh, heroin was very expensive. And so he had to steal to fund his heroin habit. Um, but um, he then he could steal, get the money and pay the drug dealers. But he thought, you know, wouldn't it be more efficient just to rob the drug dealers? And so he discovered that he'd carry a shot, a sawn off shotgun, threaten the drug dealers and get the money from them and uh, sometimes shoot them. And uh, uh, he, that's how he, he started living. It wasn't long before he was caught. I think it was 13 charges against him. He did seven years of prison time. And it would have been less than that were it not for the incident with a metal tray. But we won't go into that. So he uh, came out of prison, didn't do drugs for just a few weeks, but then he was back doing drugs. And same story, violence being smashed up, 
uh, being being beaten up. And eventually, he and a friend of his were just totally, they were just physically destroyed. They didn't know what to do. And they saw a church, and they said, well, let's go in. He he hated religion, but they went in, and the the, the, the guy, the pastor in the church was there at the time and said, um, taught, they heard his story, and he said, I know a place where they'll, they'll, they'll love you and they'll bring you back to life, but they'll feed you. And here's a t- I, I'm going to pay for a ticket for you to go there, a railway ticket. So he put him on the train to go to this place called Betel, which is House of God. And uh, this is where I met, because I, I visited Betel and I met Sean. So he got to Betel. He was shooting up all the way there on the train in, in the, in the, in the um, train. But he got there and uh, they fed him, which was great. But he hated these Christians, like all these Christians, like stupid stuff they believed. But they fed him and they looked after him. And But they said, you have to go cold turkey from heroin. So he started... Um, uh, just going cold turkey and he couldn't sleep because it does stuff to your body and he couldn't sleep and after 30 days of not sleeping he was absolutely crazy can you imagine like have you ever had a night without sleep it's bad isn't it two nights without sleep he was 30 nights without sleep and he was just like absolutely crazy and he thought he got up in the middle of the night and went downstairs and sat there and he saw a Bible and he thought, oh, these stupid Christians, I wonder what they believe. He grabbed the Bible and opened it and um, he read something and he thought, well, if this God's real, he said, God, if you're real, can I sleep? Well, at that point, he did a face plant into the Bible and he woke up hours later with his face in his Bible with the Bible promises there in front of his eyes. And so he thought, well, maybe this God is real. So he started reading more about him and and he was saved. But unfortunately, you know, people relapsed and he went back on heroin and they welcomed him back and then he went back on heroin and they welcomed him back. But eventually, a God worked in him and in spite of all his flaws, God began to use him. When I met him, he wasn't just... Um, wasn't just healed, he was actually running that particular Betel location. And at that point, he was very shortly going to to leave for Australia and set up Betel Australia, which I believe he did. And I, I, I tried Googling, Betel Australia is there, and they're doing a great work there, but I couldn't see his face in the, in the, the lineup of people, but I'm pretty sure that uh, he's there doing that work. So... Um, he he is doing an extremely good job. Um, last year, Prince William and Kate visited Betel just to just to to uh, uh, to honour them for the work that they're doing with um, with um, heroin addicts, Christians showing God's love, but broken Christians because the whole Betel organisation is run by former heroin addicts, by people who were, have been broken and 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 are broken and recognize their brokenness and God using them in their brokenness to, to, to minister to other people. So uh, I'm going to just tell you another story. Um, here's a guy called William Cooper. William Cooper um, lived at the same time as John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace a few hundred years ago in the UK. And uh, William Cooper struggled with depression and and suicide. He made several suicide attempts, and he would have good times and bad times. But he just 
God, can God use me? He was, would think, can God use me? What can I do? And a uh, uh, very, very flawed person. But he wrote some phenomenal poetry. And he wrote some of the, the poetry that has moved millions of people. And, and he wrote some hymns amongst that poetry. I just quote you a couple of hymns. Uh, one which m- meant a lot to me as I was growing up. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains and this is where he's writing it from god i feel so sinful i don't don't just need a bit of jesus blood to wash me i like need a whole a whole like flood of it a whole fountain so i can like plunge in his blood but there's enough for me there's enough for me to be washed completely clean and lose every guilty stain and he's writing this poetry out of his own struggles and is blessing huge numbers of people Here's another uh, one. Uh, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. That's great poetry. And then he goes on. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Isn't that a wonderful picture? You look up and you see these black clouds and you think, oh, it's going to rain or it's going to snow. You know, you're, you're worried and maybe in your life right now, you've got clouds and you're so fearful of them. What's going to happen? Is it going to burst? And he said, actually, they're going to break with blessings and what's going to pour down is blessings on you. And so out of his own brokenness, through God's grace, he was able to minister life to broken people all over the world. And his, his poetry has been translated into so many other languages and blessed so many people. So just to go back to my outline, the story in Genesis 20, fitting it into the big story, how this story has been repeated, and now the story for you and me. And what I want to say then is that God still uses really messed up people. And I want to say that actually, there's two kinds of people, those who know they're messed up and those who don't. So you're either in one of those categories, those who know they're messed up and those who don't. And um, all of us go back and back again and again into things we shouldn't do. The enemy is defeated, Satan is defeated, but he's not going down without a fight. But God is able to pull you out of those jaws every time. Every time you slip, he goes to bite you. God is able to pull you out of those jaws. Um, Though we may relapse and fail, God is faithful. Now, of course, this is an excuse. We don't say, well, I don't need to bother. But nevertheless, God is faithful. In Revelation twelve seventeen, so the dragon became enraged at the woman and went away to make war on the rest of her children, those who kept God's commandments and hold to the testimony about Jesus. This is us. What it's saying there is once the dragon couldn't kill Jesus, this is Satan, picture of Satan, He his rage turned against us. And so we would expect that, but he's a defeated enemy. His head was crushed on the cross. And what we're seeing now is his death twitches. Just like, you know, an animal is killed, but like his body might still twitch. This is what is happening to Satan. His death twitches as he tries to attack us, but he's defeated enemy. Um, so 
if we go back to um, Abraham, and we say, we say um, Abraham, what kind of a man of faith are you? How can you be the, the father of all who believe? What kind of a man are you? Well, actually, the important thing is that God was with him and that God pulled him out of those problems. And Abraham was kept by God. It wasn't that Abraham was strong enough to survive. It was that God kept Abraham through those all those things. Now, I just want to take a step aside for a moment, and I want to say Christianity is different to every other religion. Christianity is so different. What religion, if you imagine the story of Abraham was made up, imagine it was made up by the Jews, like to, to give themselves a history. Who would make up a story like that? You don't make up stories like that. You make up heroes, don't you? You make up great figures that you can tell your kids about and inspire your kids, you know, be like Abraham. But what they actually do is we look at Abraham flaw after flaw, mistake after mistake. Sometimes he does good things. Sometimes he trusts God, but very often he doesn't. But God pulls him through. Who would make up a story like that? And to me, this is so encouraging that that Christianity is real because it's so true to life. But the other side of it is that those stories are like that to show us that Christianity is different because it's not about achieving some perfect level of standard which other religions are about. It's not about trying to get to some level, but it's the opposite. It's recognizing that you don't have what it takes. It's recognizing you can't do it by yourself, which is how you become a Christian. So if you're not a Christian, uh, the main thing probably that's keeping you from being one, is actually thinking you can make it yourself, thinking you have the resources to get through yourself. But your first step towards God is admitting how flawed you are, admitting you are like Abraham here and you need God. And so if you are not a Christian, then you start your journey to God by say, by praying to him and saying, God, I'm just like this guy, Abraham, who just messes up and you, I need you to help me. Please, God, would you rescue me? And he will do it. Because the only condition that you have for coming to him is that you recognize that you're messed up yourself. Um, the next thing I want to say for a story for us, the next thing I want to say about this is that if you mess up, don't let Satan paralyze you. Don't let Satan paralyze you. Because what he would like to do is to tell you, oh, you're a failure. How can you call yourself a Christian when you do that? You're not going to come to anything. And if you, he can do that, he can neutralize you. And I want to say to you, don't be frozen by guilt. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out now because we're, we're just coming to the, 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 the end now. Uh, I want to, to end with this then. Don't be paralyzed by guilt. Don't be frozen by guilt. Tell Satan, and this is what you have to say to Satan. Look, Satan, it happened to Abraham, and look what Abraham became. That's what you have to say to Satan. Say, look at the example of Abraham, but God still used him, so God can use me. Step away from fear and say, God has not given up on me. Step away from that. And I want to ask you now, how is Satan trying to stop you entering into God's purposes right now? What's he trying to do with you? Because he will be. 
He's the dragon from that previous point there, 12, Revelation 12, 17. He's the one who's trying to paralyze you. That's what he's about. How is he trying to do it right now? There may be some temptations that he has for you right now. It may be some distractions, but very often it's a fear that you're going to come to nothing. You're going to be a failure. And so I want to challenge you right now to, to take this story and to hold this story up to Abraham and say, look at what God did. Sorry, hold it up to Satan and say, look at what God did. It's not about me. It's about God. He is faithful. He can use me no matter what happens. And I want you to take strength from that. And so we're going to bring now to God the things that might be on you right now. There may be some clouds that you're worried about. You're going to burst. Or there may be some some fears of failure, some fears of you haven't failed yet, but are you going to fail? I want to to pray now for you right now so if there's something you'd like to 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 bring before god just bring your hand put your hands out like this and we're going to just bring these things to god that we have father we we thank you for this example of failure that we have this story of failure because lord we can see ourselves in that story so much lord and we thank you that you are so willing to pull us out of problems and to 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 turn our failures into victories anyway and so lord we bring to you our worries now whatever they are just give your worry to god right now whatever your worry is give it to him and whatever your fear of failure is and whatever failure that you've had or you're in just give it to him say god i give this to you because you love to take messed up people and to use them thank you god Thank you, God. Amen.